Today I'm going to be teaching on living love. And it's funny, Brianna went into the motivation of our hearts during the one song. So I'm actually going to read a scripture that's actually in my closing to start out. Because the song she was singing, we pour out it all. And she mentioned the motivation of our hearts. So the cool part is, in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, in the Passion Translation, the header for that area actually says, love, the motivations of our lives. And everybody knows 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient, love is kind. But the interesting part about love as a motivation for our lives is, right before that it says, if we were to speak with elegance in earth's many languages or in heavenly tongues of angels, yet I don't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbals. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but you have never learned to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give everything I own to feed the poor, and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr, without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. So literally, I almost came up at that point, but I was like, I get to teach today anyway, so I'll just teach at that point. But literally... What is your motivation? David in the psalm said, Lord, search my heart and reveal anything that is within me that is not of you. So living love. This came out, me and Serge have been talking about love. Love has been a theme that when I've had conversations with a lot of people, that love has been something that God has really been showing people this at the beginning of this year. And so as we look at that, the reason I have the triangle there, and I have agape love and Zoe life. Who here has heard the term agape love? I'm pretty sure everybody. That's the God type of love. And as we look at this triangle, we have triangles up here, and they've been referenced for when you get married, God's the top, you're on one corner, and your spouse is on the other. As you draw closer to God, what happens? You draw closer to your spouse. So that's what, but as we look at it, getting into it today, we're going to be looking at it a little bit different. It's going to be divided into three different areas. The reason for that is, is that triangle and that man is hugely beneficial for understanding yourself, your spouse, and God, and how we grow together. But one thing is, most people in our society think of agape love as something that we have to strive for. If I asked you, how many of you realize or have to work for agape love? How many of us strive to live in agape love? And so if you go to slide two, slide two, please. So the triangle is going to be broken up into three parts. Most people in the world says, what do we do? We strive to get to agape love, don't we? And the reason I decided to share this, because I heard about using this triangle this way about two years ago by a gentleman named Pete Bartolazzi, who was a teacher at Rainbow, he actually came here. And I used to always think that, man, I have to work to get to agape love. I have to work. So I put agape where? The top of the triangle. How many here would say that's what you put at the top of the triangle? I have to work to get to agape love. That's where most people, and that's where the world puts it. They think the foundation of love is what? 
the physical part of love. Then we'll work on our soulish part of love. Then we'll work on our spiritual part. But if we go to the next slide, this is how Pete taught it, Pete Barlazzi taught it, and this is how it's changed how I walk out love. Agape love is the foundation. It's the very foundation of who I am. When I get born again, the Spirit of God comes in me, and I become a new creature. In that new creature, I have love, because God is what? So if God is in me, what am I? So do I have to strive to walk in agape love? I just have to walk in the revelation of the gift that's already in me. So using the same triangle, if you actually go to slide five, the same thing applies to life. Everybody's heard of the term, I want the Zoe life. I want the life of God. And what do we do? We work our whole life to get to Zoe life, don't we? That abundant God type of life where we live in the promises of God. But the same thing applies here. I used to strive to have agape love and Zoe life function in my life. But once he presented it that Zoe life is the foundation, my life started to change. I wasn't working for something. I was being who I was called to be. We're called to be the hands and feet of Christ. We're called to be the love of God on this earth. We're called to be the abundant life. That when people see our life, they go, man, that person's different. I want to live like them. But most Christians, and you can go back to the intro slide, most Christians, what do they do? We look no different than the world. But man, what they were teaching from the pulpit, I was spending $5,000 on a weekend seminar to hear the same thing. They just threw God in a couple times. So literally, what makes us different as believers? It's the fact that we have the love of God in us, and we have the Zoe life flowing through us. And that's the exciting part of it is, as we get into this, understanding that, because as we understand that, it will change the dynamics of our lives and how we interact with people. So before we go more into that, I'm going to just go over simply what God is. And there's a lot of scriptures on what God is. I'm going to cover scriptures that cover God as love, God is life, and God is light. And so there's tons more than I'm going to give, so I'm just going to give you a snapshot. If you want, you can always look that up. So God is love. So John 4, 7 through 11 in the Passion Translation says it this way. Those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour from you to one another, because God is love. That song, Worthy Is It All, what does it say? We continually pour out our praise as an incense to God. Now, I never heard the incense called gummy bears. That was kind of cool. I've heard of the Rose of Sheridan, but I looked at my wife and said, man, I want that gummy bear smell of love, or whatever your favorite cake is. So that actually, that made me smile this morning, the gummy, gummy bear incense of love. But God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son 
to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Delightfully loved ones, or the King James, King James says, beloved. If he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. So loving one another should be our way of life. There's people, honestly, we all could probably say we have a list of people right now we're struggling to love. And if you don't, please come teach on love right now. I will gladly hand you the mic. But we probably have that person that gets a little bit under our skin, that makes us pray in the Holy Ghost a little bit more, maybe confess. I got a mmm over here. <laughs> I think you might have a couple. But literally, we have those that the Lord says, it's one of those things when you say, Lord, help me with patience. He tends to give you that opportunity real quick on what patience looks like. Or he says, Lord, teach me to love somebody. And then he'll bring somebody that you probably would have throat punched five years ago. And he says, okay, here's an opportunity to love. And then as soon as you think you figured out love, he's going to bring somebody else that will challenge your love walk. Because there's people that I used to struggle loving, and it's easy now. Because there's, there's probably somebody harder to love than the people I'm walking around with right now. And so he'll, he'll continually stretch us as we get revelation of the love that's in us. So then God is life. John 1, 3, and 4 in the Passion Translation says, And though his creative inspiration, this living expression, made all things, for nothing had existed apart from him. A fountain of life was in him, for his life is light for all humanity. So the fountain of life was in Christ. And what? Now we have what? Christ in us. The hope of glory. So do I not have the fountain of life? I love, this was when we, uh, we went out to Manford to the a, a live conference, a rise conference. Do you remember what it was called? At Manford Church, at Lake Church. And Chad Gonzalez taught about literally the life of God. And the cool thing is, there's people that, he said, I don't need to pray for you because you have the life of God in you. And what you need to do is confess that whatever's going on, the life of God goes, if we're dealing with whatever, the life of God flows to my throat. The life of God throws my, whatever it is. He taught them that you have the life in you and you just have to have revelation that that life, what's it do? It, it flows, but not only does it allow me to stand, it actually brings health. That life that is in us, that brings salvation, eternal life, brings wholeness today. It's not a thing that I strive for in the future. I have the life of God in me today. So I have the ability to live in abundance. And it's not based off the world's standards. And that's what we'll get to later is, there's an aspect of the material blessings, but we're not rooted in what the material world looks like or the physical world. The next scripture, God is life, comes from Genesis 2-7 in the New King James Version. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Isn't that cool that literally what animates us is literally God breathing in right into our face. He basically gave us CPR. That God, the one that created us, was face to face and breathed life into us. That's the life that we have. That's the love that we live in. His breath 
brings life to all of us. John 14, 6, the Passion Translation. Jesus explained, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know the Father too. To know me is to know the Father. So now, we can expand that is, if you walk as a disciple of Christ, and you're living the way Christ did, could you not say, if somebody knows me, they know the Father also? Because that's what we're actually called to be. It's something I've thought, are you just a believer? Are you a disciple? I believe a lot of things. A lot of people believe that Jesus died for them and that they're going to heaven. But their lives do not image what Christ did. They don't image the intimacy at times with the Father, where he was always full to overflowing. So whenever the need arises, instant in season, out of season, Jesus is your example of that. What happened? He was going one place and somebody touched the hem of his garment. And he had enough for that person. How many of us, when we're preparing for something, it's like we have to get in our prayer closet to prepare for that. And if we get distracted on the way, either we're rude here, because I've done that one. I have a mission, I got to go here, and I neglect the person here. Or we pour it out here and we get there and we're like, Lord, what do I have left? But what if you understand there's a river flowing through you? It's always bubbling up. I have the love of God. It doesn't matter if I give it to a thousand people, I can give it to a thousand one. It doesn't end. I am love. Papa Doug taught this last year. The I am kind of revelation that went through the church, I think it was February, March last year. It says, God, it, it says um, said, I am the great I am. But if he's in you, I am love, that's me too. I am part of the I am because he lives and dwells in me. So I can sit here and say, I am love. So when I go, I have enough to love a thousand and one people. I have enough. Even in my weakness, what happens? He's made strong. It's not about what I have. It's about what's in me. And most of us, like I'm like, God, love at the beginning of the year. That just seems cliche. Like, you're really going to have me? And Serge is like, everybody's hitting, like, he's talking, we were talking love. All these people are talking about love. Like, really, it just seems almost cliche that we're going to start the year talking about love. But literally, it will change your life when you understand that you have enough love for whoever you encounter. And when you're weak, look to the one that's inside of you. Don't try to work up love because you are love. Walk in the inheritance that God gave you already. It's not something for the future. We are to be the hands and feet when? Today. We are the hands and feet of Christ today. Then the last one, God is light. 1 John 1.5 in the Passion Translation. This is the life-giving message we heard him share and is still ringing in our ears. We now repeat his words to you. God is pure light. You will never find even a trace of darkness in him. God is pure light. So if he's pure light and he's in me, do I not have the opportunity to exude pure light? Now, 
in that process of light, sometimes I have to get myself out of the way, or most of the time, I have to get myself out of the way so I can actually be the light. And the light is something that I'm really just starting to study out because the light is a fascinating thing. But it says, in him is pure light, and there's no trace of darkness. So when I go into an environment that seems dark, do I have to worry about the darkness, or do I just have to be who I am? How many people, they're going to get in their prayer closet if they're going to go downtown because they're afraid of the darkness, and they don't even realize what they have in them? If he calls you to be there, be there. You'll be safe. He's with you. And if, you know, he's going to put you in a place that there's trouble, he'll let you know it. What happened to Paul? He knew he was still to go to Jerusalem, and there was a group of prophets that said, hey, this is the man that wears this belt, this is going to happen to you. That doesn't sound like a good thing to hear, does it? But you know what Paul did? He already knew why he was going to Jerusalem. He already knew, and he, he said, I will still go, because he knew that the call was to be there. So even when God puts us in places and leads us to places that in the natural may not look like something we want to do, who wants to be like Paul locked up in prison, spend three, basically three years on house arrest at the end of his life? But he went knowing that even after a prophet said, the one that wears this belt, I think it's belt, correct? The one that wears this belt will be getting locked up. But God had already told Paul what was to come. So Paul was what? He was prepared to be the light wherever he went, even if it meant in shackles. So if God is life, God is love, and God is light, we all have that within us. If you're a born-again believer, you walk in the same things because God is in you. The Holy Ghost has came, and he lives and dwells in us, and he empowers us to be the hands and feet. Because it'd be kind of rude for me as a parent to tell my kids to do something, but I don't empower them. That's kind of rude, isn't it? So if the Lord tells us to go cast out demons, heal the sick, do all those things, does he not empower us? Yes. Because, that, I mean, I guess if I'm trying to provoke my kids to anger, I would tell them to do something that they're not capable of. But if I'm a good father, what do I do? I give them grace. I give them mercy. I, you're laughing. I've provoked my kids on occasions. It's been, I even, my li, Lily even just said, oh yeah. I don't do it like I used to. I used to be really bad at provoking my kids because one of them, it was fun to do. But we'll just leave it at that. But we're, we have everything we need. One of the things you'll see in the journal is, Tim laid out, this will be a year that we are the doer of the, we're doers of the word. So what's that mean? If I'm going to be doing stuff that the word says, and I'm going to have the things that the word has, I got to know what I have. I got to know what I'm carrying in me. And you're carrying love. So when you're in that place where you want to throat punch, you want to kick a wall, stomp, whatever it is, know that you have love in you. And when the situation looks dark and it looks like there's no life, know that you bring life because you're there. And when it's dark, you also bring the light. 
I can look around. Every one of us is going through something that we need a breath of life on, don't we? We need some lightness brought to certain areas of our life. Some of it might be sickness. Some of it might be finance. Some of it might be relationships. Whatever it is. But you know we carry the ability to change all those situations. We carry it within us. I never leave it. Even if I don't recognize the gift that's in me, I never leave my house without the love of God, the life of God, and the light of God. I may just choose to not operate in the gift that he gives me, but I always have that within me. And actually, it's a choice. Am I going to share the gifts? Am I going to share it? Or am I going to be a pipe that's stopped up and I think it's all for me? Then I become a stagnant pond like the Dead Sea where nothing actually flows out. So the big thing is, if we understand who God is, we can realize what we're created for. So we are created in his image and likeness. So Genesis 1, 26 and 27 in the King James Version says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle and over the earth, and every and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon earth. So God created man in his image, and in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Every one of you are created in the likeness and image of God. Every single one of you. And then when we're born again, we're restored back to this, even though, because what? Our spirits become anew. So you have the ability to do as Christ did. One of my favorite scriptures is that we will do greater things than he did. It's one of my favorite, and it's one of those that I don't feel like I figured out yet, because I'm not going greater. It's one of those that kind of frustrates me. I'm like, I know that he wouldn't put it in there if I'm not capable of it. So I self-reflect on it. That one makes me self-reflect more than any. Why am I not doing greater things than Jesus did? What am I missing? What revelation? Because guess what? He didn't give me that scripture and say, I have to go find, I'm just going to bring out like the Thanos stones. I don't have to go find a stone to get that power. It's in me. So I'm not walking in revelation of the gift that's in me. My kids watched all those, uh, what are they, Marvel movies? Avengers. I couldn't think of the name of them. But literally, he's not making me seek out to find something to add to me. He's saying, come to me and I'll reveal what I've already put in you. He's put everything we need to do greater things than he did. So when I'm lacking in an area, you know what I don't do? Go to Google. Sometimes I do. But I'm better now than I used to. But what we should do is go, okay, Lord, where am I missing what you've already given me. You've given me everything for life and godliness. So is it, I got to go search the world to find it? Or do I got to look within what's in me? He's put everything. Say everything. Everything within you. So you know that as we sit at his feet, as we spend time with the Father, 
And Bucky talked about it when he used to hear last week, he talked about, you know, when he heard Tim talk about sitting at his feet, he's like, I don't really know what it means. It's spending time with him in the way that you do. Some of you might spend time with him driving. Some of you might actually have a quiet place. I have a chair that I love to sit in because it's just my, it's where I sit. I enjoy my time. And when I was walking through some stuff, that's where I sat. So there's just that place of comfort there. Yours might be actually praying with your spouse. There's all these ways. So sitting at his feet, spending time with the Father, there's not a box. There's not a formula that says if you do it this way, you'll hear from God. But I will tell you this. He does speak in a still small voice. So if you do it always with loudness and noise, you might not always hear that small whisper. So there is a place to find a quiet place to spend some time where it's just you and him and you just hear the small whispers. That intimate place where you're looking at him face to face and nobody could hear but just you. Where he looks in your eyes and says, hey, beloved, I love you. You are my child. I'm well pleased. And sometimes you might get the skies open like Jesus did when he was baptized that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But most of the time, for us as believers with the Holy Spirit, we hear that in a quiet time. We hear it when we're just quietly sitting with him. Like Bucky had us do last week. How many of you can just clear your thoughts and focus on him before another thought comes in? I used to be like at five seconds. Luckily, I've progressed since that. But when I first started doing that, most of us were like, squirrel. Ice cream, that's going to be me. But there's that thing that when you get quiet and you hear nothing but maybe the birds chirping, you start thinking of other stuff. And you have to refocus. And now, I like quiet. I like to hear what he says about me. I like to hear what he says is coming in my future. I like for him to tell me what's coming today so I'm not surprised. Another one that points out that we're created in his image and likeness is Genesis 5.1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. You can't get away from we're made in his image and likeness. Every person is made in his image. So you can be the hands and feet of Christ. As we go into this year, and one of the words, like I said, is we're going to be doers of the word. Don't be scared of what that looks like. And don't think that it has to be a certain way. Because there's people that are called to be intercessors. There's people to be called on the street. There's people to do one-on-one discipleship. What being a doer of the word looks like will probably be different for every one of us. And there will be areas of overlap but if you start comparison, comparing to what yours looks like compared to somebody else, guess what? If I compare to Brianna and I want to be a worshiper and sing the, sing the way she does, it's going to be ugly. <laughs> we will not want to hear worship if I'm leading it unless we have some Holy Ghost help in all aspects. So if I compare what being a doer of the word looks for me compared to her, I'm going to be frustrated 
for 355 more days. I'm going to be really frustrated because I'm not able to do what her gift is called, what she's called to do as part of the work. So don't neglect what you're called to do. If you're in business, be the business owner that every person that you do business with, all their businesses prosper. And at the end of the year, they go, I don't know what was different, but I encountered Aaron in business. And every job I did with him went smooth and went easy, and I made more of a profit than any other business. That's being a doer of the word. That's walking out what's in us and letting it be the light to the world. I'm not called to take the gifts that God gave us and hold them. I'm called to be one that shares like Christ shared. So when we know whose image and likeness we're created in, we start to understand the identity of who we truly are and what we're created for. So I want to say maybe this way a little bit different. We're all have the purpose to advance the kingdom. We're all called to advance the kingdom. Your assignment and how you do that may look different. And the reason I say your assignment is so many people get hung up on, and they'll go, what's my purpose? And every year it's like they're asking what their purpose is and what my purpose is. And maybe my purpose should look like this. We're all called to be ambassadors. We're all called to be disciples of Christ. Your assignment of how that looks will look different than mine. And you might have seasons where your assignment changes, but your call and your purpose does not change. I used to seek the Lord, what's my purpose for this year? I'm still called a son. You're still called a son or daughter. That doesn't change. What your assignment is for the year may change or for this season. I was assigned to be a chiropractor for 15 years. I used to neglect that God would have me there. But I was assigned to that position for a reason. I learned a lot of what not to do. I learned a lot of people skills, a lot of things from that. That was my assignment. At that point, and this was me, I thought I had a different assignment, so I questioned my calling. I did that for years. Well, maybe I should be this. If you're in business and God places you there with an assignment, don't try to be in the ministry. All right, be in a pulpit ministry because we're all in the ministry, to be clear on that. Don't seek for a title of a fivefold ministry if you're in business. Because, you know, there's apostles in business that help steward other businesses. It just may not look like standing here in church. And if you seek something that's not your assignment, it's a pain. It's a struggle. I tried to do ministry when I was in that lane, assignment of being a chiropractor. It didn't go well. And the Lord has, at this point, had me not go into chiropractic because that's not my assignment for this season. But in all that, my purpose is still the same. We're all ministers of the gospel of reconciliation. We're all ambassadors. We're all to be the hands and feet of Christ. We're all to share the love of God everywhere we go. Your assignment may change with seasons, but your call never does. Who you are in Christ never changes. So now, if you want to go ahead and put up the second slide... As we're going to talk about 
love today. We probably won't get to the life aspect of it today. Um, there's two main forms of love that the Bible talks about in the New Testament. I am going to talk about two other ones, but agape love and phileo love. These are the type of love that the Bible talks about in what most people call the highest form of love is what? Agape love. That's that God type of love. And like I already went over, I used to strive. I put agape love at the top of the triangle. That was what I, my goal was to get to. I would do things trying to make myself become agape love. Ritualistic things I did as habit, thinking that I'm going to get myself to that place. And so I spent, I'm going to say years, chasing after agape love, trying to put myself in situations where I felt like I was succeeding in agape love. But it shifted, like I said, about two years ago. When Pete Bartolazzi said, you're not seeking for that. If you go to the next, the slide three, it is the foundation of your very essence. When I changed to that it is the, the foundation, it changed how I walked. It changed how I lived my life. Because with agape love as my foundation, what happens? All the other forms of love that the Bible talks about are rooted and grounded in the proper type of love. So agape love, just to give a couple points of what it is, if you want to study it out, it is the strongest Greek word, 26. It occurs 116 times in the New Testament. So this is my nerdy side of me going over that. So if you want to, you can find there's 116 times that it's used in the New Testament Greek. But agape love is the God type of love. It's the un unconditional love. It's the love that, like Jesus, if they spit, it, spit in your face, what? You don't do the eye for eye. Jesus taught us that unconditional love. That even when I was a sinner, and even when the world rejected it, he still died for us. He unconditionally sacrificed himself for us when we were still sinners. Uh, other people say agape love is the other-centered love. Chris Klink put it this way, and it's probably my favorite definition. It's agape love is love that seeks the highest and best for someone else. For someone else. The highest and best for someone else. So you know if you're walking in agape love, sometimes the highest and best for somebody else might put you at an inconvenience. In a marriage, if you want to have a successful marriage, when you put your spouse's needs above yours and you're seeking their highest and their best, do you get what you want all the time? For some of us guys, that means you give up the remote to the TV if that's your thing, not our thing. Most of the people here probably isn't their thing. But you're tr literally seeking the highest and the best for other people. So that might mean if the only time somebody can meet for breakfast is at 5 a.m. in the morning, you meet them at 5 a.m. Yeah. Been there, had a couple cups of coffee. <laughs> or even 6 o'clock. That still sometimes stretches us. So that's agape love. That's the spirit type of love. So if you notice on the side, I have this body, soul, and spirit. 
So agape would be the God type of love. So that is the love that God gives us. It's born again in our spirit. And so when we get our spirit right and we understand what we have, it will actually start to affect our soul and our body. So who here, I can go over, we're all three-part beings, body, soul, and spirit. Is that a new concept for anybody that I need to kind of go over? So we're all, we all have a spirit. We possess a soul and we live in a body. This body that we have, this earthly suit, it fades away. What is life? What is who we are? Who we truly are is our spirit. So that's where, if we're rooted in agape love, which is the God type of love, will it not affect my mind, will, and emotions? Will it not affect how I treat my body? So agape love is the God type of love. Phileo love, if you're interested, it's a strong Greek word, 5368. This only occurs 25 times in the Greek New Testament. So people say this is a brotherly affection. It's a friendship. It's more of a general type of love in the scripture. It typically encompasses love of your fellow humans, care, respect, and compassion for people in need. The Greek term describes the powerful emotional bonds seen in deep friendships. Phileo love, though, has the aspect of if Serge does good to me, I'll do good to him. That's an aspect of phileo love is it's usually a reciprocity of love. It's not unconditional. I'm going to walk in phileo love with you because there's a benefit. So if you operate your marriage out of this, it's a sorry place to be. Or any relationship. If it's based on, hey, if you do this, I'll do this. And there's always, there, who's been here and they have a friend? You always know who owes who what. Or that friend that goes, hey, you remember when I did that for you? They're keeping track. That's more of the brotherly love, the phileo love aspect. There's a, but the phileo love, that's where when it's con- based off of back and forth, it can be that love that messes with your emotions, isn't it? And so I'm actually going to have Serge touch on the emotional aspects of love for me. So if you want to hand him the mic. I did forewarn him that he would be joining me up here. But he didn't explain to me, like, which way to hit it, so. Yeah. <laughs> the way I see emotion and emotional love, what I'm seeing is that, like, love isn't a feeling. God is love. Is God a feeling? No. Is God an emotion? No. But do we feel God? Yes. Because it's a manifestation, it's a fruit, or what Jason says, it's a bonus of who he is. So same with us. Love, we don't approach love from a, an emotional side, or a feeling side, or an um, experience side. It's, it's hard, if I was to ask you know, what is love is, it's hard for us to explain what love is without tying one of those things to it. But, but when you go to your root, to your foundation, which is agape, you'll find that the phileo and even further on, it's all a fruit of what agape love is. So, so what I've been seeing is, what is love? Everybody goes to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
it starts giving you practicals of what love is and what love isn't. Nowhere in there does it say that love is a feeling or comes from a feeling or is emotional. It goes so far as to say, love your enemies. Well, how am I supposed to love my enemies if I'm going to wait till I feel like it? Or how am I supposed to love my enemy when, when I'm waiting to fall in love with them or to get to know them better? It's never going to happen. We love our enemies because love is patient. Love is kind. Love is practical. It's obedient. It's faith-based. We approach love the right way is to approach it from agape love. And that is obedience. It's faith. It's faith-based. It's practical. Love is kind. Love is patient. And when I do that, sometimes, just like God, sometimes I'll feel the results of that love, which is emotional, feeling. Sometimes I'll experience uh, that, that agape love. It all has its place. It's, it's all in order. Is God love? Yes. Is God an emotion? No. Do I feel God? Yes, at times. But when I don't feel God, does it mean that he's not there? No. He's forever present with me. Same with love. If I don't feel love, doesn't mean that I don't have love in me or I'm not getting love. It's, it's, a, uh, it's always there because he's put his love in our hearts. The Bible said that his love has been shed abroad in our hearts. So it's from that place that we love. It's there. It's already. We can't attain agape love. It's already in us. If we try to attain it, it gets twisted. It can get manipulative. If I'm, you'll see those people who are always trying to gain love from people. That's twisted. It, it doesn't sit right because it's already, the, the love of God is already sitting there. It's already inside of you. So, yeah. So, we've been talking through this, and I knew that he's been hitting it from the a that aspect. And so, you'll see that the top part of the triangle for love doesn't actually have a word. Because... These are the two forms of love that you'll find in Scripture. Now, I'm going to bring out two other words. One is brought out one time in Scripture. The other one is a Greek word that is all the signs of it are in Scripture, but the word is not directly used. So the third type of love is the phileo strogos, which is, if you want to look it up, Strong's Word 30, or 5387. It occurs one time, and this is really that familiar love. It's the love that you have, like parent to child, is a reference in there. But there is a Greek word that if you read the scriptures and understand what this Greek word means, you'll see the aspects of it in the scripture. And the word is eros. It's the physical nature of love. It's the physical, the romantic love. And so like Serge was saying, when we root our, all love goes through agape, my emotional aspect of love is balanced because of agape. When I do that, my physical love is also balanced because of agape. Now, eros, it's a Greek word, it's physical love, remote, but this word, when it comes to basically how it applies biblically, is it was actually specifically for between a husband and a wife, is what the reference is. 
And so as we look at that word eros, the world says what? Love starts physical. If I like him physically, I might try to tie my emotions to him. Then later I'll work on the spiritual type of love, which really that's how lust works, if we be honest. But when we balance love the way the Lord says, there is a place in marriage. And one of the references that's really cool is the concept of physical love, however expressed in the context of marriage, is found and affirmed in the New Testament. What is actually really cool is one of the things I was reading on that physical type of love, it actually says, Eros love as God sees it, it has boundaries of marriage and in where, as to where it can take place. The world has distorted physical love, haven't they? They said that's where relationships start. And we build from there. And that's why for a long time, I built my triangle on that. And it created disaster. And if you look at the whole concept of we deal with physical love first, what's that lead to? It leads to fornication, adultery, homosexuality. All these sexual sins are because we don't understand and place the physical nature of love in the right place. The physical nature of our love should be what? An expression of the God love in us. And guess what? To tie back to Serge's thing, the physical nature of love is tied to the boundaries of, mar of marriage. And when it's tied in the right place, there's really no limits of the expression that that love brings out because it is a gift from God. So that's the three types of love. I didn't put the arrows up there because it's not actually in the scripture. But if you read Song of Solomon, many places, the concept of a physical love is throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament. So as we continue, agape is what I root my life in. Now, do I always succeed in not being emotional in my responses? No. Am I better today than I was even six months ago? Yes. Do I strive to be better tomorrow? Absolutely. So that, if you're struggling in this area, a prayer is to pray that God will give you revelation of the love that he put in you. He's not going to give you more love. He's going to reveal to you the gift that's already in you. And as I pray that, he continually reveals the nature of its characteristic. And the reason I could teach love today, I could teach it tomorrow, and somebody could teach love every day of the 52 Sundays of January, and it never be the same as, guess what? you will continually get revelation of what that love looks like. And what he reveals to me through my life experiences and what that love looks like, he'll probably show you a different aspect. So don't say, and I'm not even saying, my revelation of love today is greater than it has ever been. If I taught it next year on the second Sunday, I would bring out aspects of love that I'm not teaching today because he'll reveal it to me because I seek to know that. Because all he's doing is showing me who I am. And my goal is to become a disciple of Christ, which means I operate in the fullness of the love of God within me. So as we continue, 
one of the scriptures that talks about what Jesus tells us is John 13, 35 in the New King James says, By this all will know that you are my disciples. And you do this by if you love one another. So all of this, once again, he's not going to tell you that the world will know that you're his disciples by something you can't do. So the very essence of God is in us. So we are loved. We have the very capabilities. I recently walked through something, and I'll say I'm still walking through it, where I literally said, I don't know if I want to forgive that person. I was like, that one hurt. I literally looked at my wife and said, I'm going to have to process that one for a little bit. I literally don't know if I'm willing to forgive that person and move on. And I'll say it's a, it's a work in progress. There's some things that it just, there's a hurt to it. All of us can raise our hands. There's some people it's easy to forgive. Man, it's like, man, I forgive them, I'm done. I can walk in love with them. And there's other ones it's like, yeah, still working that one out. You know, sometimes it's family and all that type of stuff. But let's be real, there, there's, family would be definitely a, a fun one, you know. But it is one of those things that does challenge you. But what? He says that by our love, we'll know that we're his disciples. Not by what we post on Facebook. Not by what we say we believe. By what we do. Because love, like Serge said, love isn't an emotion, but love is an actual action. Love compels me to do something. And so... Colossians 3.14 in the New King James says, But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Now, we were talking about this back there. Love is the bond of perfection. So that's what brings unity is love. If I look out at everybody here, we all look different. We sound different. We look different. So what's going to unify us is the bond of love. It's what's going to allow us to do everything that we're called to. Because we're never called to walk this life alone. We're called to live in community. We're called to, when people are struggling, I mean, we had to group me. There was prayer requests coming in all week for different things going on. Some people had surgery. Some people were dealing with COVID, whatever it was. But that thing is a place to post, and also place to get prayer. But then there's also, that's a more of a corporate thing, but there's also text to one another. There's certain people, if I'm walking through something, they're the people that I text what's going on. Hey, I'm walking through this. Pray with me on this. Not that I don't have the Holy Ghost, but guess what? There's people that have carried me when I was weak. There's people that I know I'm standing where I am today by prayers of some of our friends that literally have, though we see what twice a year, I know specifically I am standing in some of the stuff I am because of their prayers. We made it through some of the stuff because when I wasn't even strong enough to know to pray or how to pray, they were praying for me. And though we see each other twice a year, if we're lucky, I know without a shadow of doubt I can send them anything and they'll pray. I know if I needed them today, they would be here in 10 hours. That's called community. That's called 
doing life with believers. If I'm walking through something, I have somebody that I can go sit down and have a three-hour meal with and talk about what's going on. And I encourage you all to have that. If you don't, find somebody that you know can help you through that. Because doing it alone, I've done it alone, and you push and you push and you push, and you push so hard you end up breaking things. And you distort, and you get distorted, and you ruin things. So they will know us that bond of love is the bond of perfection. And so I'm going to end with this. The great command fuels the great commission. So we all know what the great command is, the command to love. So Matthew 22, 37 through 39 And the King James says this, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. If you look up there, what is up there? All your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Depending on who you talk to, some people call your spirit your heart. So that's why it's laid out like that. So to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all their mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The Passion Translation says it this way. Jesus answered him, Love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. So your energy, your passions, your thoughts are dedicated to what? To him. Everything you have is dedicated to him. This is a great and supreme commandment. And the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. So in that situation, when I said I was walking through, and I was like, I just don't know what if, if I want to forgive them. You know what I had to end up dealing with in myself? Unforgiveness in myself, which is rooted, rooted in pride. But... Guess what? I had to deal with unforgiveness in myself so that I can now work to re- repair that re- relationship to actually forgive them. Then Romans 12, 9 through 11 in the living, New Living Translation says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tight to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. And then I already read this one, love that motivates our lives. So 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, I'm not going to read it again, but it basically says love are all the things that we can do without love, like it says, are clanging symbols. And then another scripture is Matthew 7, 21 through 22 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on the day, Lord, Lord, <coughs> have we not prophesied in your name and driven out demons in your name and done many mighty works in your name? And then I will say openly, because I'm reading the Amplified Bible version, and then I will say to them openly, publicly, I never knew you depart from me, you who acted wickedly discarded my commands. This scripture is something I've taught on a couple times, but 
you can do the gifts of God are without repentance. You can have people healed and do these things and not even know God, the source of it all. You can read stories of stories. So that's why what should feel the Great Commission is our love for people. What fuels what I do, if it's not love, and it's maybe out of obligation, or somebody saying, well, you should do this, or whatever it is. If it's not love, at some point, I get imbalanced. Because love is the root of my life that's going to guide everything I do. Jesus was moved by compassion. So love is my guiding force in all I do. It's going to keep me from responding in an ill manner to, like, I've seen crazy stuff when people are just on the streets. Because we used to do help with the ministry, Taco Tuesday. And, like, if they didn't receive it in the way that we thought they should receive, whether it's healing or something, we're like, well, I've seen people actually start to, like, verbally say, well, you're just not listening to it. Like, I've seen people almost yell at somebody if they didn't get healed in the manner that they thought they should. So I, I can be praying and delivering the gift of God of healing and then still yelling at them because they didn't receive it the way I wanted or in the time they wanted. I stepped out of love even though I exhibited and gave the gift of healing. So it's one of those things that scripture, we've prophesied in your name. We've cast out demons. We've done the mighty works of your name. And he says, I don't know you. All that we do should come from what? Intimacy with the Father comes from time we spend from him, and it comes from the love of God that's in us that says, I want the very best for you. When I got a hold of this, I now do more for people than I used to when I was trying to do stuff for people. Because I would actually put on my thing, we're going to help at this ministry to do. It was like a goal for me to get to a place, and I would line it up. Like, we have to, like, there was just weird goals that I used to do for stuff. And goals have their place. But when your goal becomes your God and it's not still driven by love, it became painful. It became a hard place. So guess what? For me, when I'm walking out everything I do in love, I've actually reached more people for the kingdom in the two years since I got this revelation than I did. That would put us in the 11 years prior to that. Even though I was told to go fulfill a great commission, until I got the heart of the Father on the issue, I never did it. I never did it until, and we were a year into Bible school before I really did it. Because I had knowledge of the Word, I had all these things, but I wasn't actually fulfilling the Great Commission until the Lord showed me the heart for the people. And that was driven by love. And then, so Matthew seven twenty one and 23 through the New Living Translation the part I love on this one is it says, the title in the New Living says, True Disciples. So guess what? True Disciples do what? They operate in the Great Commandment and they fulfill the Great Commission. To truly walk out this life as we're called to, to walk out what we're saying is, we're going, this is going to be a year of being a doer of the Word. You've got to walk in love and you've got to do. Love without action is what? It's not love. So when you're walking out the love of God, it will propel you to act in ways that might be out of your comfort zone. 
I'm going to say, he stretched me out of my comfort zone a lot because of love, where I would have never done it before. Some of my, the greatest things I've seen with people, whether it be salvation or healings, came when I did something that I normally don't do. Because he showed me what to do. Love compelled me to do exactly what he said, which was for the benefit of them. Because what was agape? It was, I just drew a blank. Agape, one of the definitions was what? Love that seeks the highest and best for somebody else. When I operated in that, I've seen more things happen in people's lives than I ever did with my preset formula and goals. So I like just the title of the New Living. It says, True Disciples. And that's where we are called to not just be believers. We're called to be disciples, ones that do as Christ did and change the world. Because everywhere Jesus went, what happened? The world changed. So I'm going to have you go and put up the last slide. And this is what we'll be going over next week is going to be going over the aspects of life. And we're going to be focusing like we did this week on agape. We're going to focus mainly on the Zoe life of God. And that's the life that you have in you. And we'll go over the aspects of that too. And that will be where we're heading. But today I want to end with the love. Because that's what gives us, empowers us, and leads us in all things. Because I could go over the life thing today, but I'm not going to do that to you guys today. Um, Because I could keep you here to one o'clock, but I just feel that we're going to release. And I just pray that you seek the Lord on a revelation of love. It will compel you to do greater than you've ever done. It will drive you. I won't say drive. It will lead you to do things that you've never done. You'll see greater results when done in love than you've seen before. I've actually started setting goals again in different things. But I know the goals aren't what drives me. It's the love that drives me. And as I achieve those goals, I know the one thing that led it was love. The one thing that's driving my life, and I pray that it continues to drive it more and more, is love. Then that's a choice, guys. Like Serge said, love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. I get to choose the love of God that's in me, or I can choose to operate in the flesh, which is ill conceit, manipulation, hate, pride, all those things are the flesh. I have a choice every day to walk in love. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the love that is in each and every one of us. I thank you for revelation of what that love is, for revelation of what that love can do in our lives and for revelation of what that love can do in others' lives. Lord, we thank you that your spirit is quickening people, quickening them in the understanding of the agape type of love, the love that has the best interest of others at hand, the one that seeks you first and wants you to lead everything they do. Lord, we thank you that as we get revelation on love, that we will be better stewarders and be better at fulfilling the Great Commission. As we seek love, we will see greater miracles, greater healings, 
And we'll do it from a place of love and compassion, Lord. We thank you. We love you, Lord. You're so good. You are worthy of all the praise. You are worthy of all the honor. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, 